Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Eight Online. We are happy that you are with us here online, either live or watching or listening to this recording. Right now, we are still in the middle of our pandemic here of the coronavirus. And something I've been doing a lot more these days is snacking 10 times more, been eating a lot more dessert than I ever have in my life. Just because I'm stuck more, me and my wife and my daughter are just eating a lot more, I'd say. Let me just speak with myself. I've been eating a lot more, been having a lot more dessert. My go-to thing is ice cream. Okay, don't judge me, but I prefer non-dairy ice cream. Uh, so I've been eating a lot more of that, especially at night. Um, maybe it's a coping mechanism, I don't know. But I eat a lot more dessert, especially on Sunday night. Sunday night. These past several Sunday nights, you put on the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance on ESPN, I got my ice cream. I'm good to go. Um, that's just a little taste of heaven on Sunday night, so I've been enjoying it a lot more. Maybe I'm going a lot toward snacking and dessert. Maybe you are as well, because we kind of feel like we are in the desert. Metaphorically, we're in the desert. We're kind of stranded. We don't know when any of this is going to end. There's a lot of uncertainty. Sometimes... We find ourselves in life in a desert, maybe in a job desert. Is this job secure? Am I about to receive an email or a notice from my boss? Will this uh, job, will another job ever come up? Maybe we're in the desert of a relationship. Maybe there's a, a strain in a relationship where we feel kind of stranded or isolated from a past relationship or a complexity of a relationship that exists now. The desert sparks a lot of emotion for a lot of us because there's a lot of uncertainty. We feel unstable. We don't choose the deserts of life. They choose us. Some of those deserts happened in our life. We get that one phone call, that one message, that one conversation. They kind of put us in a desert. The good thing is, I'm not the only one that has dealt with this or is dealing with this, and you are not the only one, and we are not the only people in history to ever have to deal with this. In 13th century BC, there was a group of people that were chosen to represent God. They were called the Israelites. And they, because of, because of circumstances that happened before, they end up finding themselves as being slaves in the land of Egypt. And they've been working day and night, putting their blood, sweat, and tears of working as slaves, and they have no other option in their life. And then God decides to redeem them by a man by the name of Moses. So Moses wrote um, the first five books of Jewish scripture, which we know as being known as the Old Testament. And it depicts many beautiful narratives uh, of the early uh, history of humanity. And we see um, one of the stories there is about the Israelites going from slavery to new life. Check out this, this video here, maybe to explain a little bit more about the journey of the Israelites from slavery, slavery to new life. Let's talk about the book of Exodus. Now, you're probably familiar with this book because of the epic story of Moses leading Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Yeah, but that's just the first half of the book. The second half has Moses giving the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these blueprints for making a sacred tent. Now, right here in the middle is the story that connects these two halves together, and it all takes place at the foot of a famous mountain. Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. So the first thing we have to remember is we're continuing the story from Genesis. Yeah, in Genesis, God promised Abraham that through his family, 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. When Exodus begins, 400 years have passed, the family grows and becomes the people group now called Israel. But there's this huge problem because the Israelites are enslaved to this king of the Egyptians, a guy called Pharaoh. This guy is really bad news. Yeah, he's horrible. He, he disregards their humanity, he brutally enslaves them, and he even orders that all of the Israelites' sons should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. He wants to wipe these people out. He's the worst character in the Bible so far. Here's where we meet an Israelite woman who wants to save her son. And so she does throw him in the river, but safely, in this little reed basket. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes him as her own. And this is the boy who grows up to become Moses, the man who will rescue Israel from slavery. So Moses grows up, and one day, much later in his life, he has this crazy encounter with God where he comes across a bush that's on fire but it isn't actually burning up. And God speaks from the bush, and he appoints Moses as the man he will use to deliver Israel. So Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him this, this news that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh, he just pretty much laughs at him. He's like, Who, who's this God, Yahweh? And in fact, he's so offended by this request, he decides to make the Israelites work even harder. So discouraged, Moses goes back to God and says, listen, this plan's not going to work. But God repeats his promise that he's going to rescue them. And in fact, it's right here for the first time in the Bible that we hear the word redemption. It literally just means to purchase a slave's freedom. But God here uses this word to describe what he's going to do for enslaved Israel. And God knows Pharaoh is going to resist. So he sends 10 different plagues, one after another, like turning water into blood, sending all sorts of pests and disease. These plagues are really severe. They are severe, but we need to understand that the story is presenting these as acts of divine justice against one of the worst oppressors in the story of the Bible. And they're all aimed at the purpose of rescuing these enslaved people and defeating the gods of Egypt. This all comes to a climax at the 10th plague, where God's going to kill the firstborn sons across all Egypt. Every house, it's pretty rough. It is, but it's also God's response for how Pharaoh killed the Israelite sons. Now as you turn the page, you suddenly get two long chapters of detailed instructions for what's essentially throwing a dinner party with a recipe for a lamb. Yeah, but this lamb is super important. God tells the Israelites to pick it out and to prepare it to be eaten. And they're supposed to take its blood and then paint it all over the doorframe of their house. And anyone who is in that house will be spared from this final plague. And so this meal, which is called Passover, it commemorates this key moment in the story where God brings his justice on human evil, but also shows mercy by providing this substitute. This final plague makes Pharaoh angry, and he demands that Israel gets out of Egypt, which is great. But suddenly as they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind. He has a change of heart. But on top of that, we're also told that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why would God do that? Well, what we need to remember is that over and over in this story, Pharaoh has already chosen to harden his own heart. And so at this point, Pharaoh, he's not just evil, he's become monstrously evil. Even his own advisors think that he has gone way too far. And so how is God supposed to deal with such an extreme form of evil? And what we see in this story 
is that God uses his power to lure evil into its own destruction. Pharaoh and his army are destroyed in the Red Sea as Israel passes into freedom. And after this, we find the very first song of worship in the Bible as the people praise God for redeeming them. And it's in this story that the word salvation is also used for the first time, which means simply to be rescued from danger. Now that they're saved, you would think that everything should be great, but the story quickly turns. The Israelites start wandering in the desert. They're tired, hungry, lost. And you start to wonder, what's God doing? What were they saved for? And we learn the answer to that question in the very next story, which ties the two parts of this whole book together. Wasn't that a cool video? I want to highlight um, a, a part of this story, of, of their journey from slavery to, to new life. And I want to highlight you know, a, a part that really shows some of their emotion as they are now about to cross over to new land, to a new world, really. And as they're still being chased by the Egyptians and see like their emotion and the reaction to what is going on. We jump now into the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. Hear me out on this. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Such, so much emotion, so much, there's a lot of hidden messages here of what these people are complaining about as they're being redeemed, as they're being saved, and as, as Moses is leading them toward new life. One thing is clear, people are people. Regardless of, 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 of your ethnicity, regardless of your culture, people are people, all right? So just if, you, if we kind of just read in between the lines here of the people, of, of, of God's chosen people, of the Israelites, if we read it between, between the lines of their emotion as far as what they're complaining about, l- listen to what they're saying. They're being sarcastic, right? They're saying, oh, Moses, did you take us away from our life as being slaves because there was no real estate there? There was no graves? There was no cemetery? Is that why you're bringing us out here for us to die? The sarcasm, full of emotion, and they're being sarcastic here with Moses and complaining. And then they say, I told you for us to, to, for us to leave us there. Think about this. Think about this. The, the, the people of Israel, they saw supernatural events in which Moses did. They, they saw unbelievable miracles of God working through Moses. They saw that with their own two eyes. And, it's in there, and now they're telling Moses, see, I told you you should have left us there. Think about it. They just saw, just a few days ago, they saw this amazing, uh, these, these events occur, these miracles occur. And now they're telling Moses, see, I told you you should have left us there. The second I read this, I think of my daughter who comes to us now, you know, when we say, okay, you know, one more show, and she watches one more show on TV or whatever, and, uh, you know, she says she wants to watch another show, and I say, no, well, you know, whatever, it's not working, we have to go to bed, or whatever the case might be. And, you know, yeah, okay, don't judge me, yeah, I'm lying. And I tell her, okay, that's enough. And then we say, okay, one more show. And then she says, see, I told you it's working. I told you it's working. This is kind of what the people of Israel do. And maybe we kind of do that. Maybe we are sarcastic when we have emotion kind of building up within us and we kind of speak out of emotion. You see something else from, from, from the people of Israel that are, that are wanting new life and are complaining and kind of venting out to Moses. 
They wanted something different. They, when they were slaves, they wanted something different. But then all of a sudden, when they're on their journey toward new life, they miss the past. They said, man, we had everything good there. But the reality wasn't. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? They're wanting new life. When, they're, when they are as slaves, they want new life. But now when it's there, they complain. They completely lost sight of seeing God work within them. They completely lost sight of seeing Moses redeem them and kind of lead them. They saw leadership like they've never seen it before. They saw a servant who was their leader, Moses, coming to redeem them. But they lost sight of that. They were just complaining. It's funny. It's funny how when crisis comes our way, you see two different responses. For some people, they take a step closer toward the one who has everything in the palm of his hand. When crisis comes, some people take a step toward embracing who is the one who is outside of time and space, the one who has my life in his hand. Some people move in that direction. Some people move in the opposite direction, saying, I'm done. I don't need any of that. Like, I can do life without even having to think about God. You know, he does his own thing if he's really there or not, and I do my own thing. People move in two different directions when crisis comes. The paradox, the paradox that we are called to live in as humans, as, as spiritual beings looking for something more, is that we have to embrace reality. Okay, we can't just live in delusion and not embrace the reality of the desert that we're in right now with the pandemic. I have to embrace reality, but at the same time, hold on to hope. And when I say hope, I'm not just talking about ethereal word. Yeah, 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 we should hold on to hope. And it's just kind of like a theoretical word. No, hope in the reality of the one who overcame death himself. This, I need to hold on to the reality of who the uncreated being is. I need to hold on to the reality of hope of who God is and who God, when he put on skin, I need to hold on to the reality of who Jesus is. So I need to hold on to, to reality, embrace reality. But the paradox of that, that I also need to hold on the other side, on the other hand, is the reality of hope. Like I, I, I have to embrace both at the same time. Like, I can't just hold on to one without the other. Yes, there is a lot of uncertainty. But I know that through uncertainty, I want to embrace the one who is certain. There was an early Christian from Syria. His name was St. Isaac. He wrote this in the year 670 AD. God does not grant a great gift without a great trial. God does not grant a great gift without a great trial. Throughout the centuries, people who, decide, who decided to intentionally pursue Jesus, they understood this reality, that through trial comes a great gift. And we know that till today. You know that in many aspects of life, from your career, from an academic perspective, because God is the one who is threading that reality in every aspect of life. Through trial comes great gifts. Are we willing to embrace the trial? Or are we kind of just wanting to vent with sarcasm, with anger, of wanting things from the past as the, as, the, as, as the people of Israel did when they knew new life was coming their way? Listen to Moses' response as he hears their emotions of them being sarcastic, of complaining, of them wanting to go back to being slaves. Listen to, to Moses' response. L listen to this leader response. He doesn't respond out of emotion, but hear what he has to say. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand 
still. Stand still. Our world has come to a standstill. Have you? Have I? Or maybe we're uneasy. So we just want to occupy ourselves with as much shows as possible of just staying busy. Maybe you're like me and have cleaned every single room in the house four times. You don't know what to do. We are unable to be still. Moses tells them, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord for which he will accomplish for you today. One of the very first times the word salvation is written verbatim now in scripture. Salvation and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Moses tells him, be still. Is fear is what's going to drive you? Or are you embracing how to be still in here? For a lot of us, it's hard. We're unable to be still. We lived in a world where we're unable to be still. Maybe through the trial of us embracing how to be still, this is where we can gain new life. As what Moses told the Israelites in the 13th century. Another example from the journey of the Israelites while they were in the desert, not knowing what will come next with a lot of uncertainty, uncertainty as we are in right now. Another instance, chapter 16. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the spots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, complaining. But come on, I mean, it, 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 hindsight is twenty twenty. Now as they're in the desert, as, as, they, as they are going toward new life, they're complaining, which I get. And they're complaining and saying, man, even when we were a slave and working 16 hours a day, man, we had food, we were living the good life. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But they do not know where God is leading them toward. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God tells them, I got you. I got you. You think I'm just going to bring you out of here? You think I'm going to do all these supernatural events and, 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 and lead you? And, and I'm going to give you your daily bread. But I'm going to test you, not in a test way like, you know, in school and you get a pop quiz and you're like, ah. Oh. It's not, not test in that type of way. He's saying, okay, out of my love and respect for you, I want to see if you will accept and embrace my love if you will accept and embrace my fatherly love towards, towards you, you will accept that. I want you to walk in my law. He's intentional about using the word walk or the imagery of walk. Not a law is not saying, yes, I do this, I don't do this. It's not a checkbox. Check, check box. It's for us to walk in his law because in his law is the fullness of life. This is the path to new life. So, so God is telling them, God is telling you, God is telling me, I'm here, I got you, but I want you to walk. That's my test. Will you walk toward my love? 
Will you walk by abiding in my law? Or are you going to do things your own way? Deliverance in the desert. Deliverance in the desert for the children of Israel came through a dependence on God. Deliverance in the desert came through a dependence on God. This is how they found new life. When it was on their own, they're complaining they're going to make their own illogical decision. But if they're wanting to pursue the one who is above logic, this is how they can be delivered. This reality, this reality of being delivered by depending on the one who has it all in his hand, this reality, we embrace this reality in ancient Christianity every Saturday night. As we now we begin a new week on Sunday morning, as we begin a new day on Sunday morning of us celebrating us being one with God by us abiding in him, there is a tradition of, of praying the midnight praises. It's called midnight praises, not necessarily that it's at, at 12 a.m. at midnight, but it, 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 it captures the spirit or, or the theme that we are in a transition from ending one week, transitioning to the next. We're transitioning from an old life to a new life. And we read Exodus chapter 15. We don't actually read it. We pray it. We sing it because music transcends text. Music transcends. It goes from, from just a head thing to a, to, a, to a heart thing. So as we chant it, we are, we are the people of uh, uh, the children of Israel, and we cross toward new life. I love this icon here, the color, just seeing the beauty of the people of Israel w w chanting as they are crossing the, the Red Sea, as they're crossing toward new life, as they're going from, from uncertainty of the desert, going toward God's promise for them as they are walking in that direction. And one of the things that we say in the hymns of the church, we say this hymn right here, a hidden earth was shown upon by the sun, and the untrodden road was walked upon. A hidden earth was shown upon by the sun, a, a, an earth which have never been seen before. New life, which has never been experienced before, was shown upon by light. And the road which has never been walked upon, an untrodden road was walked upon. This is a reality for the people of Israel in the 13th century BC, and this is the reality for you and me. A new earth is waiting for us, which will be shown upon by the true light. A road which has never been experienced before will be walked upon. An untrodden road, that we will experience that if we want to walk in the way of the one who loves you and me more than we know. New life is waiting for you and me. My question then, for me, my question for you. What is God trying to teach you in the desert? What is God trying to teach me in the desert of life? Is he trying to teach us how to be still? Is he trying to teach us what, are, what do we use to cope, to, 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 to settle our anxiety? Is it just one more show? Me scrolling a little bit more? Maybe, that, maybe, that, maybe that's where I'll find new life. We want to get out of the desert. I get it. I want to get out of the desert. You want to get out of the desert. Who doesn't, right? We want things to go back to normal ASAP. We want to get out of the desert. God wants us to get something out of the desert. Maybe in this desert of uncertainty that we're in, we're focused on trying to get out of it. Maybe God is wanting us to get something out of the desert. Maybe as we're here, 
walking toward new life. Maybe there's new life right now from where I am. Maybe it just requires me to, 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 to depend not on me, what I think is going to help me or, 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 or me just doing my own thing. Maybe it requires me to depend on someone bigger than myself. You don't have to be delivered from the desert to be delivered in the desert. You don't have to be delivered from the desert to be delivered in the desert, right? Aren't we saying, well, once we get out of the desert, things will be better. Once we get out of the desert, then, you know, things in my marriage will be better. Things will be better with the kids. Once we get out of the desert. You don't have to get out of the desert to be delivered in the desert. Deliverance is now. New life is now. Walking on untrodden road is now. Like, new life is awaiting for us now. But are we still wanting to do our own thing? Or do we just think it's, it's purely circumstantial? It's not dependent on external circumstances. Yes, it helps. Don't get me wrong. It helps. But new life is now. I can be delivered now if I decide, as Moses told the people of Israel, stand still. For the salvation of the Lord is now. We all went out of the desert. And we're all coping with it differently, right? But it seems like nothing is hitting the spot, right? Maybe that dessert is not hitting the spot. This show is not hitting the spot. Me scrolling a little bit more is not hitting the spot. Me kind of watching one YouTube video after another is not hitting the spot. We're all trying to find out what's going to just help me cope. Video games not helping. Nothing I'm doing is able to hit the spot. Maybe because nothing of this earth is able to fill in that void. Maybe nothing of this earth is able to really give me that fullness of life that I desire. It says something about our core. It says something about our core. An author by the name of C.S. Lewis, a very famous author, he said these words. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probably explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I, my friends, are made for another world. We're not of this world. We're looking for an, a world to come, an age to come. But deliverance is now. New life is now. Untrodden road is now. But it requires me to depend not on me. It's not circumstantial on once things get back to normal, once I'm able to go back to work, once the kids are back to school, once everything. New life is now. Let us embrace him now. Deliverance comes from the deliverer. Let us embrace that now. Let us bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we try to do things on our own. We try to, to figure out things on our own, and I get it. We're all following into that trap. But Lord, help us to be still. For us to see what's inside of us. For us to embrace our anger, our insecurities, our issues, our lusts. For us to embrace those things that are kind of putting us off balance. But for us to recenter our lives toward your love. Because Lord, you did not abandon us, but you desire to give us new life. But it requires us to be still. It requires us to depend on you in the desert of life. Because as C.S. Lewis said, nothing can fill that void. Because maybe... We are not of this world. 
through the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Uh, for our Sam Mark family, make sure you check out our website, sammarkatl.church slash online to see what's coming up here um, at our church. Everyone have a great week.